Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, welcome to the game podcast from The Times. Today, who are the big winners and losers from the extraordinary transfer window? Can Sal Niguez make a splash at Stamford Bridge? And should Gareth Southgate be making England style sexier? This is the game. Hello again and welcome back to The Game Podcast. I am Hugh Wizencroft. Alongside me, Thomas Roddy, Gregor Robertson, Jonathan Northcroft. How are you? Good, Hugh. Morning, Hugh. How are you doing? I'm very well because England haven't played as yet. The international break hasn't started as brilliantly as maybe the Scots would have hoped. We'll come to that a little bit later on. We all agree that Denmark were, were robbed in the Euros. They're the, the best team yeah. in, in Europe. Uh, so, <laughs> tell you what, they're too... Their two goals were something to behold as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be too hard on them this time. Oh, well, we'll come to that a little bit later on. But I was just, you know, merely expressing why maybe Tom and I are a little bit happier this morning than you and Jonathan are. But if you're still buoyant, then that's even better. <laughs> um, look, it's the international break, as we mentioned. We'll come to that later on and, and ask really what England could hope for over the next 12 months. But we have to start by talking about what was probably the most exhilarating dramatic, insane transfer window in living memory. Um, Atletico Madrid, the main players on the final day of the window, they got Antoine Griezmann back in from Barcelona. Sauna Gueth out to Stamford Bridge. We'll talk about Chelsea in a moment. But I wanted to talk about the overarching nature of this transfer window, particularly when it comes to Premier League spending. Watford, Norwich and Brentford are three promoted clubs spent more money than the top three in Spain, Atletico, Real Madrid and Barcelona combined. Norwich, in fact, alone would have been the biggest spending team in La Liga if they played in Spain. Now, CIES, the Football Observatory, have put six Premier League teams at the top for negative net transfer spending since the start of the pandemic. Um, English top flight clubs almost €2 billion Euros in deficit since the start of the COVID crisis. La Liga teams registered actually a positive net balance of around €200 million. Euros. So as far as the Premier League's concerned, it was pandemic. What pandemic? Now, Jonathan, I'll start with you on this. How responsible has the spending been from Premier League clubs over the last year? Well, I think there's two parts to, to the concept of responsible, Hugh. Is it responsible... 
at a time when you know people are, are struggling and um, and the nation is and the world is, is is still you know gripped by the after effects, economic after effects of COVID. I mean, in terms of of the symbolism of it, no, it's not. It doesn't it doesn't sort of look very good. Is it responsible within the Premier League's um, own economic? realities um is it responsible within clubs own budgets i think it probably is is the answer so it's two different things i mean it is spectacular <clears throat> when you when you look at some of the the clubs especially those smaller club spends uh, and then you sort of see that headline figure of 1.1 billion that's you know what one incredible figure but then when you really drill into it you know that's that's a, that's the lowest spend since 2015 it's about 10% down on previous years which is about the the, the amount of money from the tv deal that um, that the premier league had to forego um in the um in the first covid shutdown and actually tv tv money and transfer fees um, they're completely interlinked. The reason the Premier League can spend this um, is because it makes so much more money from TV than anyone else. And I remember looking at um, back to the very first Premier League season in 1992-3. I think the I think the spend for Premier League clubs in that year was 25 million in total, and it's 1.1 billion now. But if you actually look at that as a proportion of their TV revenue, it's almost exactly the same. The percentage hasn't changed over. 25 years so that's why we are where we are and what we have seen this this um this window and we might get onto this is just that further strengthening or flexing flexing of premier league muscle and a further tightening of belts in europe and that's because of this gulf in tv money and that's why uh they wanted the super league the the, the, the spanish and the italian clubs and that's why uh it's i think you know leaving aside how just dreadful from a sporting point of view, the the, the the Super League would have been. Just from a business point of view, I think I think those big Premier League clubs have had a narrow escape. I, I never understood from a business point of view why they'd have a Super League and start to enrich their foreign competitors when they're so far ahead already with the Premier League um, TV money. And and without a Super League, I think this is I think this gap's only going to increase, and and this is going to be the norm. The Premier League just having more muscle than than everyone else. Wasn't it a way of just saying goodbye, though, to your domestic competitors? You know, I think that was one of the main things. You know, if you were Arsenal or Spurs, you could have entrenched yourself amongst the Europe's best, you know, whether you were good enough or not, if you went for a Super League. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the big clubs, and I've spoken to chairman about this, the, the big clubs don't really like the idea of Aston Villa spending £100 million or Leicester doing clever business. Uh, they don't like that because they, that, that, that rattles their cage in, in, the, in the domestic setup. But I do think the bigger picture for them is that, you know, they're seeing Real Madrid and Barcelona and Juventus withering at the moment financially. Um, so I think for the price of having a more competitive Premier League will be a greater sort of mastery in, in, in Europe. Really, you know, the bottom line is the morality of the Super League was, was, was terrible. But just from a business point of view, I'd have thought, that's better for the big six than, you know, except getting beaten by Aston Villa every now and then. If it means that you can raid Atletico Madrid for the best players for, you know, £5 million loan fees. Tom, what do you think? Responsible, prudent, even clever spending from Premier League clubs this summer? Maybe it is a level of prudency there. Um, the, the, the thing is, you see... You said right at the top of the show, Hugh, about, you know, the most exhilarating transfer window 
in in memory and part of that is down to individual deals you know the Jack Grealish's record-breaking 100 million pound move. Romelu Lukaku's was essentially a 100 million pound move. You've got Ben White going for 50 million. There's these huge deals done, but they, the clubs seem to have gone for their target and, and, and just gone for that rather than where you'd get a few years ago, Man City signing this fullback for 50 million and this fullback for 50 million and that fullback for 50 million. It's not, they've, they've tended to go for a specific target more. And I mean, even though it seemed to have been quite grotesque in a way, the amount of money that's been spent. There, there is a huge, there has been a quite a significant drop. As Johnny said, I think it's 1.1 billion this year, which is still, it seems on the, on the outset, just an incredible amount of money. But it was 1.4 billion in 2019 before the, um, before the pandemic. So that is a, that is a pretty significant drop. Um, so uh, the thing that we've, we've spoken about a few times on the podcast as well is that we're we're sort of seeing that shift between the clubs in English football that can really can really spend money and those that can can still spend like you said the likes of Brentford spending more than the Spanish some Spanish clubs but we're seeing those like the Uniteds and Chelsea and cities who can flex their muscles and um, and that's been the difference here. Gregor, what do you think about it all? Has the Premier League confirmed itself as really the de facto European Super League? You know, we have so much power and might now, it seems, even over Spain and Italy. Yeah, certainly in financial terms. I think, you know, as the, as the guys have been saying, it spent double, double what Serie A did, three times what the Bundesliga and, and Liga did, and four times as much as La Liga. And clearly there are, there are kind of... There are reasons within that, and we're buying their players a lot of the time, so that explains it. But um, unquestionably, in financial terms, I think you know, look, France, their TV deal fell fell apart. Here, we had a rollover, and there looks like it could be some growth because of the American market is growing. So it's still on a at least the same same level terms, and that, as Johnny said, is what is going to keep the the, the Premier League as the richest. Ultimately, um, so so yeah. I mean, you look around, and, and there is a, a part of you that thinks it's all obscene that you know four months ago we were talking about the Super League and these a lot of these clubs, you know, almost trying to break away and from and from English football. And you know, a few months before that, we we're still talking about the the big reset that the game needed. And this is all kind of a few months later. It's like, oh look over there, we're spending a hundred million pounds on. On Jack Grealish and look over there. There's another hundred million for Lukaku. It's like almost a distraction. There's another another part of it that feels like, you know, with with Messi and Ronaldo's transfers too. That it's it's all the kind of celebrity bandwagon. You know, it's like each league branding. League, yeah, they have to have the leagues have to have. It's like a, a massive asset to have these stars in their leagues, and so uh, you know. I know it's. We'll talk about come on and say who won the transfer window, and you say it was an exhilarating window, and it was. It was intriguing. That's the word I would use. But the the whole discourse that goes around this as well is something I think we need to be a bit careful of. We say this every year, but we we. It's it's pretty obscene. It's pretty obscene, really, when we look at the 
we look at the world around us and what we've just kind of lived through over the last 18 months, I think it's, there's still a big part of me looks around it and thinks, this is obscene. And the wages too. It's not, there's some interesting things with the number of free transfers have happened this year. And, you know, we've talked about Harry Kane having signed a six year deal without a, an exit clause. That is dead in the water. That will never happen again. Any agent that does that will be sacked or will, will like, <laughs> they, would, they would be brainless. So there, there's a possibility that the size of these fees, apart from the very, very, very elite, the, you know, the clubs who are state backed and whatnot, I think they could be on the slide a little bit, and what you'll see is 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 more of that money going to players, and that that in itself is is something that's still a bit unpalatable to me. I was criticised roundly for talking about Harry Kane. Of course, I complained about the European Super League, and then said Harry Kane was underpaid. But I think a new contract's probably going to be on the table very soon, with a release clause, no less. And I think you'll see it will be double the money. Look, he's just worth more. And I think a lot of these players. I think the clubs will have done the calculations. They probably are are worth it if it's not on the pitch than it is, you know, from marketing and sponsorship and other other avenues, including, I'm sure, Manchester United, who are desperate to keep the CR7 brand going by changing uh, Edinson Cavani's number with Cristiano Ronaldo. So we'll probably see that in the next uh, 10 days or so. Um, look, let's get to these moves. They are big money moves. We've got to accept what football is and that these moves will happen. You just want the clubs that have the money in the bank to be spending money as opposed to the clubs that don't have money in the bank to be spending money. So Chelsea, as we know, have a bit of money. They've got Sal Niguez in from Atletico Madrid, 26-year-old Spain midfielder. He comes on loan with an option to buy, which was another interesting quirk of this transfer window. So many loans with an option to buy. I think it means that they want some money in through the gates before they can actually, you know, get these deals over the line in terms of the big wedge. But I think it will be another 30 million euros for Salonegas next summer. I mean, it's it's a bargain as far as I'm concerned for a player of his quality. Jonathan, the, the big question around Chelsea though is, do they need him? I mean, it's an interesting one because Chelsea have almost got the, the, the best three central midfield options already as, as, a, as a trio in Jorginho, Kante and, and Kovacic. And then they add this really talented footballer. Um, you know, he's, I believe he's been one of the best talents I've enjoyed watching for, for the last of, you know, five or six years and always want to see him in the Premier League. I suppose uh, Saul offers a little bit of a difference to, to the other options in that he's more of a, um, I guess, an old-fashioned box-to-box concept of a player who's, who's, who can do everything, but is probably going to add a bit more attacking threat than um, Jorginho or, or Kante or, or Kovacic. He's almost a replacement for Ross Bartley. I mean, it, it, it just shows how, how Bartley's fallen in the last couple of years. Um, he... You know, Tuchel is is just a, a masterful manager in terms of of, of the, the the details and the subtleties of of, of you know what positioning and, and how he, he tries to probe at teams. And I'm fascinated to see first of all why he thinks what what he thinks he's going to do with a slightly different option. Why he thinks he needed him, and and maybe the kind of in game changes he's going to make using those 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 midfield options. You know, maybe Sal doesn't start because Kante and Jorginho are an outstanding duo. Um, maybe he comes on in a lot of games. Um, but what a player to have as, as that kind of, you know, extra option. I mean, that does just underline how well Chelsea have constructed the squad of theirs. How does he fit in for you, Gregor? The way I look at it is that Kante, Kante and Kovacic have both had sort of some injury problems as well in the last last six to 12 months. So, 
um, you know, when you're fighting on so many fronts and you're a club like Chelsea and you've got the money and you've operated so cannily this summer, the biggest thing, <laughs> the biggest thing is that Chelsea have turned the biggest net profit in the Premier League and they've bought Lukaku. You know, no matter what you say about them and the way they kind of have this loan farm and stuff, you know, they, they made money on Tomori and Abraham that's, that's kind of unfathomable, unfathomable money to, from two guys that came through and hardly played that many games for Chelsea. They got rid of Zappacosta. Zuma is another one. Zuma came at a 19-year-old. So I th- they, they can go out and do this. And I think when you look at, as I say, a team that's going to be challenging in Europe and for the Premier League, he wants, he wants all the options covered, all the bases covered there. The next question then you'd say is, why didn't they sign a centre-half? But there have been a few a few players to emerge. You can play Rhys James in a back three now. You can play Aspilicueta. Trevo Chalabar's coming. He can play in the Premier League, I'm sure. I think actually Christensen has has kind of grown in stature, I think, since Tuchel's come. So is Rudiger. Rudiger's playing the best football of his career at Chelsea. So they look not, you know, pretty well stocked there as well, actually, now. Um so uh, where does he fit in that come back to your question? I don't know. I still think, as Johnny says, Kante and Jorginho are the are the first two. And he, yeah, he might play a little bit more advanced. Um but I think really he's just covering all bases here. Just counting the number of players that Chelsea have let go. I think it's about 21 in all. I mean, it's rather incredible what they do in the transfer market to be able to spend almost 100 million on one player. They've brought in Salnaguez, okay, a 5 million euro loan to begin with, but to make a profit and more than anyone else in the Premier League just shows exactly how they do operate. But you mentioned the centre-back there, Gregor. Tom Roddy, are they missing a defensive element at Chelsea that maybe makes them the complete team? A little bit, yeah. I mean, the priority the priority was a striker. That was that was probably the main missing piece, a goal scorer, which they got. Second was a midfielder, and the reason it was second was because they 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 didn't have to, but um, Billy Gilmore wanted to go out and loan to get opportunities, and Tuchel saw himself as as short in midfield. He needed that fourth option um and it's interesting as well isn't it you, you mentioned the um the loan with an option to buy I mean that's what Chelsea did with Kovacic as well and it's I think we've spoken before about this concept of almost try before you buy you know Seoul is a, a wonderful footballer but he's not been tested in English football yet so if it doesn't work out they're not committed to it the, th- the third priority was a defender. And of course, um, Jules Kunde was, was the target. And Sevilla, you know, Sevilla have made clear that, that they saw his release clause, which we believe is around 80 million euros. And but Chelsea weren't, aren't willing to pay that. And, and the thing is, I think they have more cover there. And I, I also think that that is part of the reason why they didn't let hudson Adoy go, because Tuchel wants so much cover in these different positions. And hudson Adoy can play, and he has used him in that wing-back position. So it means that he has the option of playing Reese James or Azpilicueta on the right side of centre-back. And of course, that's why Trevor Shalaber has come in and, and done so well. And he's decided to keep hold of him this year because of Zuma leaving. So I do think they have, they, they, their squad is, is complete. There's no way you could say they're not. I mean, they, you know, with Thiago Silva, Rudiger and um, Christensen, who, as Gregor said, they're, they're, all of them are really at the top of their game at the moment under 
under Tuchel. So it, it, there's no, yeah, there's no weakness there. I think it's interesting that you mentioned Callum Hudson-Odoi because one of the other stories of the transfer window, maybe the, the legacy will be the excess at some teams. You know, Callum Hudson-Odoi, I think over £150,000 a week, but you've got Ruben Loftus-Cheek, you've got Ross Barkley there. I mean, huge sums of money being paid to players who we probably won't see in more than about, well, I mean, I think Hudson Adoy should play his fair share of games, but I think you'll rarely see Ruben Loftus Cheek or Ross Bartley before January um, on huge sums of money. You know, they're lucky they got Danny Drinkwater out, but they're probably paying him a huge sum of money to be playing for Reading. So, um, so like I say, it's a legacy of excess. Go on, Tom. The other thing to say, Hugh, you know, with all these sales that Chelsea have made and the profit that they've they've made this summer, I think there's got to take into account the, the changes in rules that FIFA are bringing in on the loan market, which meant they couldn't loan out and they won't be able to loan out as many players in future. So this was an opportunity to start selling the likes of Gurhi, Tamori, Tammy Abraham, those who, who couldn't. Uh, be loan- may not be able to be loaned out in future. And they've often got buyback clauses. So if they go out and excel, then they can, you know, the, t- the, the top, top clubs really have, have uh, cornered every every corner of the market. <laughs> Is that even a phrase? I don't know. But they have they have got it down, you know. They've got a kind of huge farm, a huge farm of players. They play them a bit and their their price just skyrockets. They sell them and they can buy them back if they do well. Brilliant. Chelsea were described to me as a, as a football factory by someone from one of the other big six clubs this week. And that's, that's probably the right way to think about it. It's a football factory in terms of, of, of making money. And Hugh, you're right to point out the, the, the excess of those players that aren't going to play. But this is the best of the clubs at this economic game. You know, every club's got these guys sitting around. Liverpool, very well-run club, but they've got Diva Carigi sitting there doing, doing nothing, don't know what to do with them. You know, I, I'm not even going to mention United. I mean, you've, you've got Dan James off, but I think it was only this summer that Sergio Romero finally departed. So every club's got the success. And you're right about Chelsea, but they are the best of them. Absolutely. And even you heard Donny van der Beek's agent complain that he wasn't allowed to go out on loan. And that's another player. Again, you don't even know if he's in the manager's thoughts. Like I say, there might be a legacy, even though we're talking about maybe some of the the wise and prudence betting, there might be a legacy of wastage as well from this period of the Premier League, um, which is probably a bit grotesque to move on to the winners and losers of the transfer window <laughs> after that. But um, but we might as well smoothly move into that. Who were the big winners and losers for you? Might be your club. Let us know what you think. But anyway, um, Gregor, I'll start with you on this. The big winners. I mean, Chelsea won it. They always do. But I'm, I'm going to kind of reframe it as the smartest because Palace needed to have a reset. And I think... That they've done it pretty well in terms of the play, looking at the, the kind of the age and uh, you know caliber of the players that they brought in. Um, question marks about Patrick Vieira as a manager, but I think the transfer business have done. You know, they had the old. I think they had the oldest starting eleven, not just in the Premier League but in Europe, apart from other than Lazio last season. So they shipped out ten players. Um, huge number of games for Palace. We've you know we've discussed this, but when you look at the players now. Mark Gehe, Joachim Anderson, Michael Lisi still to come back. They're 21, 25 and 19. Will Hughes, 26 at his prime. Conor Gallagher, 21. And Odson Edward is 23. So they're kind of bringing that age, age down. And these are guys who I think have still got something to prove at this this level. You could look at that and think, do they need a wee bit more? But they're still, as I said on the opening day, I think that Gehe was the only player that wasn't a recognisable 
Palace player from last season. So they've still got some season season players and performers at Premier League level in that team. They've just brought the age down and I, I would say a bit more kind of hunger and dynamism in the team. So the smartest have been Palace. Okay then, big winners slash smartest teams, Jonathan Northcroft. Yeah, I like what Palace have done. Um, Leicester <clears throat> did fantastic business and, and just bringing in Lookman right at the end just un- underlined that. I mean, every, every single player they've, they've signed looks like a, a shrewd signing. Even even Ryan Bertrand too. Um, it's That's a great steal, that is. You know, they're really decent Premier League players worked with Brendan Rodgers before. Um, it's an argument for Spurs given that we all thought this was the summer that it was going to fall apart and they could lose Harry Kane. They keep Harry Kane, they sign Emerson, they, they sign Saar, Romero, Brian Hill. Um, it's pretty good. But I, I wonder if, if if we might end up looking at United. I, I, I think United have had a transformative window. Will it be enough? I don't know. But they're now, I think, I think the Ronaldo signing right at the end just puts puts them in the mix. And I know he's 57 years old, but um, it's Cristiano Ronaldo. They've got Cristiano Ronaldo. He's just he's just broken, you know, the world, you know, international whatever, all the goal scoring records <laughs> last night. You know, I was trying to get my head right. I was looking at all these lists on Twitter of all the stuff he's done. He gives them a chance, and on top of that, there's Varane and the Sancho and Dan James is out the door. It's not, you know, it's not it's not bad, and you know. <sighs> No, 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 no. I know you're about to mention Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, which is why was, you stopped yourself. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah which is why you stopped yourself. You know, I was going to say, and they've still got Ole at the wheel, but I thought I'm not going to beat you. <laughs> I can feel it heading in that direction. So I knew you, you reeled yourself back in. I'm sure we'll be discussing Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Jo- Jonathan, don't worry before the end of the season. Uh, Tom Roddy, your big winners of the window? Uh, United were, were mine, actually. I mean, and the reason being... Y- it's easy to look at Chelsea and think that they were big winners of it. But I wouldn't have, if Chelsea hadn't done the business they've done, I still would have expected them to be a contender for the title. But United's, what they've done by bringing in Ronaldo and the quality of Varane, it might take at least a season for Sancho to settle in there, but they've turned, they've turned themselves into title contenders overnight by by the deals they've done immediately, which which for me wins it because you know you've got in, in the impressive moves of what Grealish's adds to Man City and and Lukaku giving Chelsea goals and the the qual- adding the quality of Sol Niguez. but what what Ronaldo does for United changes their outlook, changes their expectation, even even if the expectation's been the title for a while, it, it changes the reality probably is the truth of it. The reality is they they can and should be challenging for the top of the table now. No pressure, Manchester United. We'll see exactly what they do. Uh, I've gone for two. Personally, I agree with you, Jonathan, on Leicester City, Pats and Dakar, Samare from Lille. You've got Vestergaard, Bertrand, Adam Ola-Lukman, who was great at Fulham last season. I think he might take that. Iose Perez, you know, attacker off the bench roll and take it possibly to another level the way that he played last year. Um, Aston Villa as well for me, you know, Emi Buendia, Leon Bailey, Danny Ings, Axel Tuinzebi on loan, Ashley Young coming back. I thought they had a very good window as well. Um, with that video from Christian Perslow, just trying to explain exactly uh, what they were doing with the Jack Grealish money. Um, the, the big losers 
is going to be an interesting one, actually. Jonathan, I'll, I'll come back to you on this. It's a hard one, but... Well, no, it's not. It's Arsenal, isn't it? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, that's why I called it interesting, because I've gone for yeah. Arsenal as well. Even yeah, though they were the biggest does. spenders in Europe, this is I, think, I think they were the big losers. This is it. And people always sort of mistake volume for, for, for quality. And I might be proved wrong on... You know, we might all be proved wrong on some of those Arsenal signings, but they just do not. Any of them look transformative. None of them look like they're really going to improve that that first team. I guess the best you could say of it is that they're signings for the future. They're, they're younger players and they're trying to grow something new. But then, you know, you look at good players exiting like Hector Bellerin and think, what's going on? You know, that's a talented footballer that I think until Arteta arrived was going somewhere. Um, keeping Granit Xhaka... Odegaard's a good signing. Let's be honest, Odegaard's a good signing. You might accept he's, in, he's probably a signing in the one position where they were they were really pretty strong. But Ramsdale, don't fancy that. Um, and as I say, the rest of them are punts for the future. And this is this is Arsenal. You know, they're supposed to be. We're talking about the the the, 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 the look at what the rest of the big six have done, and um, look at what Aston Villa have done. Look at what West Ham have done. Look at what Leicester have done. It's just it's hard to see uh, a top even even a even a top eight season for Arsenal even a top ten maybe when when you look at the state that the clubs are in after this window. Gregor, you want to argue with that? It's hard to argue with that. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that I think you know I think Ben White will turn out to be a good signing. The fact that so many of these players have been missing in the early like, in the early games, it's it kind of making it look a little bit worse than it actually is personally but I do agree you, you look at the I'm not sure that there's someone there what, what Arsenal need is kind of like stand up consistent performers and I still I still look at their team no matter if it's a everyone's fit I look at the team and I think Kieran Tierney just about he's not even had the best start to the season actually and then as I say every blooming week <laughs> Smith Rowe and Saka the two kids from the academy. The rest of them, you don't know what you're going to get every week. And I wouldn't say any of these new players are any different yet. We've got they've got some convincing to do. So yes, I think although although Southampton have started well, they've lost Ings, Vestergaard, and Bertrand. They've started well, but I think that they they look weaker. And then you look at, I mean, it's stating the obvious, but how dysfunctional Newcastle are when they kind of spent twenty something million on Willock and then. For some reason, they broke their policy to do that, and then they couldn't. They didn't sanction, I think, Chowdhury on loan from from Leicester. You know, I talk about who are being smart in the window. They they are the kind of dunces. <laughs> Clip it up. Uh, we'll put that out on social media. <laughs> Joel, just in every in every every. I don't think Newcastle fans would argue with that. You know, there's no joined up thinking. That's why they're they look stupid. Well, it's one of those. Not to be too harsh on the recruitment department, but. Um, you know, when you're being given very little, you know, room to manoeuvre in, in terms of your ownership, it's hard to be extremely intelligent. Maybe the £22 million no, no, for Joe Willock. Yeah, I understand that, but I'm just saying, I don't want to be too harsh on the people that actually make the decisions on the transfers, because if you don't no, have any no. money to spend, it's hard to be very creative in the transfer market. No, but it, this looks very much like Joe Willock came and had a successful loan period, and Mike actually went, oh, I like him as a, I like him as a player, I like him as a lad. All right, there you go, there's some money, you can have him. And then it's, so it's, really, it's, you, it's, you, it's usually the fans like him. Oh, the fans like him, bring him in. That'll get us a bit of favour with the fans. And that was it, I think. Yeah, well, there's, just, there's just no, 
no intelligent. There's no no process, no joined up thinking whatsoever. That football club, and it's a it's a shame, really. Tom Ruddy, who have you gone for? Again, I, I think uh, the lads have said everything. To be honest, um, I was, again, um, but I think I was going to go for Newcastle because you see a lot of clubs that have either have had the chance to refresh, whereas you know the the, the stories that came out of Newcastle yesterday about Steve Bruce being frustrated and this being the sort of lowest ebb in that relationship, you kind of, you're kind of bored of it to an extent because it's just the same and, and you pity it as well because it's the same stories over and over again. And of course, Joe Willock's signing is, is a, is a great deal for them. You saw his potential there. It was nice to see him get out of Arsenal as well. You see, you know, the likes of the potential that they have in players in the academy like Reese from the academy like Reese Nelson, like Eddie and Ketia, players who we know have a lot of ability and to see that flourish elsewhere and at a club like Newcastle where he'll have a great career is brilliant. But how how have they improved from last season? How have they progressed? They haven't really. And it's just going to be the same old situation. The other loser of the um, transfer window for me is, is Harry Kane. Because, you know, whether he gets a, a new contract or whatever is... I can see it, Gregor getting angry again. No, um, no, no. Is... <laughs> is, um, is you know, he, he wanted he wanted his dream move. He, he was he was almost certain it was going to happen. Sees the likes of Jack Grealish and Jaden Sancho, and you know all these guys moving on the huge moves around Europe this summer. And many of us expect Tottenham to to be challenging for the Premier League title this year. I I would wager not. And so he's sort of stuck fighting for an FA Cup or League Cup again and hopefully Champions League football. So with, with this summer sort of dragging over his, you know, hanging hanging over him. So I think he's one of the, the big losers of it. Go on, Gregor. Nothing to say. Nothing well, to say. Well, well, well. <laughs> I think we've done Harry Kane to death, to be honest. He's actually nodding, saying he agrees with everything I just said. <laughs> no, no. For, for, for the listeners who can't see his face, the moment Tom said that he grimaced, his face went a little bit red and blotchy. I come back to him <laughs> see if he's got anything to say. And he bottled it, basically. He absolutely bottled it. Um, look, let me give you my big losers very quickly. I think Manchester City, you know, flipping it on the Harry Kane story, really, because I think they're main rivals all got better to a, a bigger degree than they did, even though they added Jack Grealish for a hundred million pounds. And maybe they've been reeled in a little bit because of the transfer window. So I think Manchester City, who could have, if they got Kane or even Haaland or another main striker, the main thing they needed, in fact, in this window would have pulled further away. They, um, maybe, maybe it's going to be a title closer, uh, sorry, a closer title race than we think. Liverpool for me are probably the biggest losers in that, in the same regard, those around them have taken big leaps forward and they just haven't. You know, they, they brought in Ibrahima Kanate. They've got themselves centre-back cover. That was massively important for them. But now there's a huge emphasis on the likes of Harvey Elliott and Curtis Jones and some of the younger players coming through at Liverpool to have an impact because I still believe, um, especially in forward areas, you know, if they have a big injury, that will take a huge chunk out of their season. Um, at least they have a little bit of cover at centre-back. But there you go. Special mention to West Ham, who I should have mentioned earlier as well, because I think they did great business in this window too. Um, but slightly different, um, not winners and losers per se, 
the best move of the window or your favorite move during this window? You know, maybe one that just, you know, pulled on the heartstrings or maybe one that you just think is going to be a huge impact. Oh, heartstrings. You know, I, I quite like Tom Heaton going back to, to United. Um, just he's, he's such a wonderful lad. And, and that was the big player going back to United this summer, the one that everyone's well, that was it, yeah. and the romance. That, no, no, I mean, just in terms of a nice human move. Um, uh, I mean, I enjoyed I enjoyed Max Corney at, at, at Burnley and the botched unveiling. I don't know if you saw yeah. that. The, that was um, that, that was that was fun, especially the ice cream emoji that they they, they tried to tweet. Um, it's Ronaldo, though. Come on, you can, I'm just it's Ronaldo's back at, in, in the Premier League. It's going to be will it be the be- best move or favourite move? Favourite move. I'm a journalist. Storylines. You know, coverage. I'm excited going to to the matches. Whatever he does, it's going to be box office, and it does make. You know, we talked about the Premier League. Sometimes it just feels like we're reporting a bit on a big reality show. We're not reporting on a sport at all. It's all content, and Ronaldo is just prime piece of content dropped back into our laps. But he's gonna. He's a brilliant. He's. he's an, he, this is one of the greatest footballers of, of all time and one of the most compelling footballers of all time. Half the world hates him, half the world loves him, but you can't take your eyes off him when he's on the pitch. Um, and he's either going to make United title contenders or he's he's going to, you know, all, all, their, all their kind of negative traits are going to become even worse with, with him on the pitch. I don't know. You know, I, 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 think, I think he gives him the chance, is what I was saying earlier. He gives him, it's a roll of the dice that gives him that possibility. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I've sent, I've sent something this morning, an expected goals chart of Ronaldo over the last 10 years. He's out, outscored his XG by 100 goals in the last 10 years. I mean, this, I mean, this guy is ridiculous. He does, even at this age, he's ridiculous. We saw him last night against Ireland. He, he does stuff to, to just grab games and transform them, even when he can't run. Hugh, we should have had Johnny on last week, shouldn't we? When when you were trying to get the, the romance, the heartstrings tugged by everyone. <laughs> and Alison and, and Tom were like, oh, it's they ridiculous. Weren't playing it's ball, a backward no. step. That was nonsense, but whatever. If you don't like seeing Ronaldo on the pitch, you don't love football. Come on. Whether you hate him, you can hate, you can hate him, but you can, you've got to love. The but you've got to be in awe I mean, when yeah. you saw him do that celebration, I know we're going to come to it. Said, what, what Nick is, isn't he? I know, <laughs> I know. Ridiculous. <laughs> Unbelievable. Is he older than you, Gregor, by the way? Yeah, it's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> we won't mention the early retirement then, obviously. I know, I know. Um, Best or favourite move of the window then, Gregor? Mine's at the other end. Is, well, okay, it's slightly different in the context of like the, the role in 24-hour news. And I was reading a piece today about some Spanish TV programme that had an Mbappe clock where he was like the second hand second round. <laughs> <laughs> so, like counting down to Mbappe in and then they're just sitting there at the end like, oh, what do we talk about now? So my favourite was Danny Ings. Boom, out of nowhere to Aston Villa. You know, it's a com- totally old school signing where... There's not like there's not you're not watching a plane fly across like <laughs> from like Spain to arrive in the country and then you know it's a reporters at the airport and following through Danny Ings Aston Villa player what where did that come from so I I, I really enjoyed that it was like a, quite refreshing and and I think it'll be a very 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 good signing for them because as I said before he opens up so many options for them and then and their front three Tom Ruddy. I thought what might turn out to be one of the best value transfers of the summer is Damari Gray to Everton because we're already seeing what he can do. But my, my favourite transfer 
is actually, I was talking about the negativity at Newcastle, but them getting Santiago Munez and creating, (laughs) turning fiction into reality with the goal movie of 2005 with this Mexican striker coming uh, to the league. I mean, that is just, that was amazing to see. Um, I'll be, I, I, be very impressed if he guides them into the Champions League this year. <laughs> Santiago Munoz, I think, was the character in the film, right? So very, very close in terms of name. Um, for me, Dan James going to Leeds uh, was the my favourite move of the window because I never thought anyone would pay 25 million rising to 30 million for Dan James from Manchester United. But I also think he probably is going to be a big success under Marcelo Bielsa. And so it's a great move for him. He has been improving. I've got to say credit to him. And I actually think he could be a really impactful player for Leeds United. You know, works his socks off, but he's direct. As we know, he's very, very quick. Uh, good deliverer when he wants to be and also an eye for a goal when he wants to do as well. And I think Marcelo Bielsa could be the man to get the best out of him. So I think it's a pretty good move. And I like Damari Gray to Everton as well, Tom. Any more for any more before we move on? I like um, I like Rondon rejoining Rafa. I, just, I, I, like, oh, yeah. I like those ones. Where, and I, I went out to China to see Benitez a couple of years ago and, and it just looks so miserable, the whole sort of thing. For the stars, I saw Carrasco uh, and Rondon uh, on this kind of municipal training pitch in the in the grey skies, and they just look like, what are you doing here, lads? So I just like to think that that's the that's a little reward. He's 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 phoned up Salomon and said, okay, you followed me to Dalian. Here's your here's your reward. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, you'll you'll be at Rafa's next club as well, obviously. In, in I've Qatar. got to say that the, the contract <laughs> at Dalian was probably his reward for following him to St. <laughs> yeah. James's Park, to be perfectly good honest. Point. Good, good, yeah, point, but, um, good point. <laughs> but it's good to see Salomon Rondon back in the Premier League. It was a classic transfer window. I don't think we'll ever see one like it. Some of the huge names that moved. Um, look, we're going to move on to the World Cup qualifiers next and what we can expect from England and their big names over the next 12 months. But remember, if you're liking the podcast, rate us, leave us a review, make sure you're subscribed, not just here, but also to the Times and the Sunday Times for more of our award-winning journalism. If you sign up today, you'll get yourself one month free. Just go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. England's World Cup qualifiers begin tonight. They're taking on Hungary out in Budapest before they face Andorra at the weekend, Poland next week as well. So we'll react to two England matches the next time you hear from us. Scotland did begin their campaign last night. They were beaten 2-0 by Denmark, as we've mentioned already, but they have Moldova and then Austria to come this weekend. Lithuania hosts Northern Ireland in their first match later. Wales drew with Finland in a friendly but they will start their qualifying campaign against Belarus at the weekend. But we're going to focus in on Gareth Southgate's England after reaching, of course, the final of Euro 2020, beaten by Italy, but they took it all the way to penalties. We all know the story. But what is next for England under Gareth Southgate as they uh, build up to the World Cup? I'm sure they will qualify to Qatar in 2022. But, but where are they as a team now? And what is realistic to expect from them. Tom Roddy, I'll start with you on this one. Um, have England gone up a level? Is it right that we expect them to be virtual world beaters now? Uh, I'm not sh- I'm not quite sure world beaters. I think it's right to have expectations of them going to, you know, going towards a final again. I kind of anticipate possibly a, a, a drop the in form a little bit. I don't think these games are going to be hugely exciting. I hope I'm wrong in some that but after the high of the summer and and also just the um the fatigue that's still going to be in the players after not much of a break one of the things i'm particularly looking forward to really is seeing patrick bamford get his opportunity because he deserved it last season and didn't miss out narrowly to ollie watkins so it's going to be great to see him actually get an opportunity out there because i think he's he's determined to sort of dispel this this myth that he's not you know the the kind of uh, striker below the level of England and so it's, he's, he's deserved his opportunity but and, and I also Hugh I don't think we're going to see too many changes um it's going to be it's going to be similar to the, the team that, that took them on that journey to the final but I do think that the the fatigue and sort of the the, the low of uh, after the summer is going to be a little bit of an issue. It was interesting to see Southgate say that you know the only way the only way they can sort of forget Italy and that final at Wembley and and all the what if moments is is by winning by winning the World Cup essentially that's the only way they can can kind of forget about it. I don't know how how sort of tongue in cheek that was, but but. The thing as well about about it is he he's kind of not I, I think whether it's just the way he's trying to project himself he's he's kind of 
trying to forget about that. I mean, he's he's only I think he's watched the game back. Southgate's watched the game back quite a few times, but he said he's only he's, he's never watched he's never watched the penalty shootout because not through any emotional pain or anything like that but because he knows the outcome um, and the whole point of those games was to learn from it and progress from there which which I'm sure they'll do and I'm sure that, that the tournament is going to have given them the confidence that they can be world beaters. Two points to pick up on there. I do want to give Patrick Bamford his flowers before we come to whether winning the World Cup is even a possibility. Gregor, I'm not surprised to see Patrick Bamford in the England squad. I don't know necessarily if he takes England on a level compared to the other strikers on the fringe of that, you know, Harry Kane understudy role. Um, he deserves an opportunity. I've said before, I think he's the striker that plays most in the style of Harry Kane. And if Harry Kane is so vital to your system, then why not have a backup striker who's in the mould of? But I do think when you look at Mason Greenwood and Danny Ings start to the season, the fact that Dominic Calvert-Lewin pulled out with injury and no replacement striker was called up by Gareth Southgate is slightly strange. You know, if Harry came and he hasn't really been on 100% top form at the start of, of this season, is injured, say, against Hungary, it leaves you with Patrick Banford for another two World Cup qualifiers as your only real out-and-out striker. No Marcus Rashford in the squad to sort of have a hybrid role. So, yeah, look, let's talk about Banford first. He deserves it. I agree. But should there be more firepower, particularly in the striking department for England? I think, as you say, they have the options and... Southgate will have his reasons and that he wants to look at other people. And I think as Tom, <laughs> Tom pointed out, you know, Poland will be an interesting game, but these two are not going to be you know, England's biggest tests. Um, and so I think it's mainly about using these games as an opportunity to look at look at other players. Um, and Bamford does deserve it. It's, it's, it's great. You know, it's, it's the, 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 a huge example of a player who just, a manager and a player kind of clicking and belief being shown by the manager, just unwavering belief, no matter what. Because, you know, there's supporters of when Bamford's, I said, dry spells in front of goal. Even Leeds fans have been kind of, have got on his back in the past. And then he gets to the Premier League and he performs even better. So I played against him when, when he was at MK Dons in League One. He's he's had a, he's had a very interesting journey, Patrick Bamford, to, the, to, to, to this international call-up. And I think you're right as well. I think the fact that he can... He can drop deep, link play. He's an intelligent player. I think he does make him an interesting, uh, an interesting option for uh, in place of Harry Kane. So, but look, we said this before. England are so well stocked there. Greenwood, I think, we'll all agree, is going to be. He's going to win a lot of caps for England and score a lot of goals in the future. Why not this week? Who knows? Who knows? Really, it might be partly to do with you know what happened before in Iceland. It might be that he knows what Greenwood's capable of and he wants to see it on a consistent basis now for a few months, uh, not just a few games. I, I don't think we can answer that question. I think Gareth uh, Southgate's the only one who can answer that question. But as I say, I think he's using these games as an opportunity, not for the first time, to look at to look somewhere, somewhere else and look at other options and Patrick Bamford um, deserves this opportunity. I actually thought, you know, Southgate said that he was very much in his thoughts. And the, pro- the problem is you can kind of say that. You're, you're going to say that about, I remember him talking about Fikayo Tamori in the same way. Guys who are not quite, not quite there, but 
just in that provisional squad that he had before before the the tournament, he's gonna say he, he's going to say those things because he's, it keeps them on side. But I thought Lee Carsley, the new England under twenty ones manager, his comments were probably more um, indicative of of the situation. Situation in that he was told not to select Greenwood for the under-21 side because Southgate sees him as a senior player now. So why the, why not this week? He says it's because he's started. You know, he's had such a good start to the Premier League season with Man United. Probably doesn't need him right now, so it's an opportunity to just allow that to continue to 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 blossom really for for the time being. To be fair, I, I had no grounds to. To reference Iceland there, I should say that because he's he called up Phil Foden, um, and I think he would have called up it before the Euros before he got injured. Th- there's no reason for me to say that. I don't know how they've reacted. You know, Phil Foden, both of them have reacted very well to that. You know, they're young lads, and they're both you know, the two of England's biggest talents. So I, I would be very surprised if it's anything to do with that. I think probably, as I say, he's got. He just wants to have a look elsewhere. He knows what he's capable of. Um, and, as, and they've got so many options. They don't have to play without an striker. It's a World, it's World Cup qualifiers. You know, for me, they're not friendly matches. It's not about seeing whether players are good enough. They're competitive games trying to qualify for a World Cup. All the best players available should be there. There shouldn't be an empty spot. I don't care if he calls up a centre-back or a right-back. I mean, you've got an empty That's spot in your squad thinking, now. Though. Why? Why? The Nations League's more challenging than World Cup qualifiers. So you're more likely to see a stronger, a stronger eleven. But, but what's more important in these games? But what's more important? Well, yeah, but I think we. Well, look, it'll be a big shock if England like, don't as win I said, the first if two Harry games. Kane isn't a hundred percent, we have Patrick Bamford, a completely inexperienced player at international level, leading the line with the responsibility of winning these qualifiers with ease. Even though England supposedly do, Hungary the first match will not be easy. It's not an easy atmosphere to go into. They showed that during the Euros that they will be competitive against big teams. And if Harry Kane were to pick pick up an injury in training, Patrick Bamford would have the, that responsibility of scoring the goals to win us the game. That's all. I'm no look. I'm, I, I, I think England will qualify yeah, clearly, but I do think you've got to take these games seriously. If it were a tournament. Would you just say, oh, we're not going to take another striker? Maybe Gareth Southgate would, knocking over my breakfast. But, you know, for me, you've got to fill that space. You've got two strikers who have been in really good form. You know, call one of them up, give them an opportunity. I think they probably deserve it. You know, Mason Greenwood or or Danny Ings. It's not just about Mason Greenwood. You know, he can choose whatever player he wants, but choose a player. You know, just pick someone. Um, Because they're missing out on caps and opportunities. You know, to be told, by the way, it's an interesting point that Tom Tom makes, that Lee Carsley was told not to call Mason Greenwood up. I mean, he's not that experienced, but you don't even want to give him any under-21 game time. You know, that should help him. I know he's played in big games, plays for a huge club, but you still want him in the England fold and being used to playing with players from other clubs. One thing that's just come to my mind is he may have an injury we don't know about. He may have a kind of niggling injury that sometimes you have conversations between... For, you know, between clubs and and national teams, you may have something that needs to be managed, and they don't want to be made public. It's a possibility, but if not, you're right here. Thanks, appreciate it. <laughs> Very occasionally, you'll hear that on the game podcast. Um, Jonathan, what's your view on that? And also, just to carry it forward, Tom's point about whether winning the World Cup is the only way that England can forget the pain of Euro 2020. Oh well, I, I was staying out of your uh, Greenwood chat there because I, I, I think there's, I think this is something more than meets the eye with, with, with this one. I, I think conversations have taken place between 
Gareth and, and, and Solskjaer, Manchester United. And this is a development decision. I don't, I don't really know what the, the exact reasons would be, but it seems clear that this, they've just made the decision that at this point in Greenwood's career and life, it might not be, uh, or it might not be the best thing to, to bleed him in slowly, uh, that maybe it came too fast when he was called up for the Iceland game. Uh, and it just seems that, there's, that they're thinking of the human being here. Uh, and, and and the kid himself on on merit, Hugh, you're 100 right. On merit, he should probably be starting for England. But I think this I think there's a sort of human factor here. So um, I got I got trust in Gareth said last week I'm going to take charge of Mason Greenwood's international development. Um, which you know you're always listening for stuff as a, as a journalist that that, that, that kind of uh, someone's trying to say a bit more than they're actually saying. And I, I felt that was that was what. That, that was one of those statements. I think he feels the need to look after Greenwood in some way for whatever reason. Um, in terms of where England are, I think it's good that he's talking about trying to win the World Cup. I, I think it's time England stopped talking about development. They've had long enough. That 2022 clock is now finally, you know, <laughs> coming. Well, it's, we're nearly we're nearly in countdown phase now, aren't we? It's, it's 14 months away, and they have to with this generation of talent. They have to aim. To win. What's fascinating to me is how close they've come in the last two tournaments, particularly Euro 2020, with a certain approach, which he's spoken about um, over the last couple of days, which which has been a cautious approach, uh, a reductive approach, let's say, of, of trying to manage games and win them with a small number of attacking players on the, on the pitch and using science and, and marginal gains. And we saw two things at the Euros. We saw England get almost there with that approach, but not quite be good enough in the final, perhaps be too limited in the football. And then the marginal gain side of it, I think, was responsible for the penalty shootout. They chose those three young players to take the penalties on the basis of they've, you know, our science tells us that they've been the best in training and they're, they're in these places in the batting order. Ergo will make that decision, forgetting the human factor that you're just sending three young lads into a really difficult situation without even having put them on the pitch to, to get some play. So what I'm saying is this approach has got England to the brink. I'm fascinated now to see what and I don't I'm not I'm not sure which way he's gonna go. Is Gareth gonna decide, yes, I can win with this approach? I'm just gonna try it one more time. And the players will be that a little bit older, and you know Italy are old, and blah blah. We'll, we'll we'll get there next time. Or does he go in and think that approach has gone as far as it, it could possibly take us? It's not quite enough. I need to change a little bit. And you know things like Trent Alexander-Arnold, the resource that England have got there, this unbelievable playmaker that that that, that, that plays. He's, I think you know, David Beckham is the closest thing I can think of. You know, an unconventional playmaker that plays in a slightly not a central position but a wide position. Are England going to start building around Trent? Are they going to get Jude Bellingham into that midfield? Are they going to try and play the ball through midfield a little bit more and change the balance? Those are things I'm really fascinated about um, because, as I say, Gareth's at this crossroads. He either he's got 14 months. Does he decide it's not quite good enough and I need a change, or I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing? Uh, and it'll, it'll it'll come right in Qatar, but I'm glad he's setting himself the goal of winning Qatar because that that has to be the goal. Tom, what do you think? Will there be a more expansive England? Will there be a change in the style? I think we've got to this point because the 
best player in the team it has been Harry Kane for the past few years. And I think that's not expected to have disappeared by Qatar 2022. So I don't know whether we'll see a complete lurch of direction. In the lead up to the Euros, we looked at that team and and looked at the beneficiaries uh, of the delay of the pandemic and the delay of a year and it was the likes of Jude Bellingham and we've seen what he can what he can do and he looks you know who who would have predicted that you'd have had Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice as two of the two of the best players in that team over as a as a double six in the midfield and it it worked for that tournament whether it works again going Next year, I'm not so sure. I think you need to be that bit more dynamic, and I'm sure Southgate would agree with that as well. And Bellingham provides provides that. He provides a, a different style of play, a more dynamic style of play, and someone who's more adept at carrying the ball. And we're, we're also going to see, you know, there's been a lot made of Sancho and his lack of involvement this summer, but playing in the Premier League is going to be key for him sort of settling into that team and settling into, but it, but it's, you know, we, we saw the amount of selection decisions he had to make and, and he decided, decided to go the way he did, which which worked this summer. But uh, I think Johnny is right in saying that it's it's it kind of does need to be that bit more, maybe that bit more expansive. I'm interested to see what England will come out with. I'd love to see them. I think we all would. We've said it before. Players with a more attacking style, but you have to say what's worked for England is that reductive football that Jonathan mentioned. I just don't know whether that football will really translate to success at a World Cup, which I think will be more difficult for England. Look, we know they had an easy run at the last World Cup, but we all want them to be able to go out there and beat the very best. We've got the squad, I think, to really compete. It's just really about now taking that football out there. We'll talk about England on the next episode of the podcast. Very quickly before we go, though, got to mention, and we have already, Cristiano Ronaldo breaking the world record for goal scoring in international football. He notched two against the Republic of Ireland. He's up to 111 international goals. And look, now he's got the record, I think. He can bin off Portugal, can't he? Because, you know, that's what he was aiming for. (laughs) Focus on your career at Manchester United, Cristiano Ronaldo. Come on now, you know, club football's going to be far more important. Who wants a World Cup? You know, you've won a Euros. Take it easy. Put your feet up. Focus on the Premier League. I think that should be the message, shouldn't it, Gregor? Not sure that's the way he thinks you, I'll be honest. Not with, <laughs> as I say, I'll refer to it again. When you look at the nick of his body, <laughs> I'm not sure that that's his, uh, his mindset or his approach in anything in life. So, But look, it, it was funny even just watching... Well, I was watching the Scotland game, which I'm glad we've glossed over. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, I, f- I look on Twitter and you see kind of people going, oh, there's Ronaldo having a penalty saved by a, a goalkeeper who's 19 and playing in the third tier of English football, which was uh, kind of forgetting that he's a very good goalkeeper alone from Manchester City. But, you know, everyone's so eager to like chuck him on the scrap heap. And then there you go, Ronaldo, boom, boom, two headers like that. He, that's just what he does. He's what he keeps doing. I think... I think anyone who's who's who wants to write Ronaldo off or kind of diminish his his value, 
I, I don't see the basis on which they're doing that personally because he didn't take Juventus to the Champions League. You know, come on, he's one man. He's not. He's not an entire team. Um, he still scored a, a phenomenal number of goals there, and I think he'll continue, continue to do that if he gets if he gets a chance in the air. There's no one beating him. Once he gets Wambasaka's delivery. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've lost James's as well, you know. That is a blow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, big blow. Uh, listen, great to see Cristiano Ronaldo still doing it on the biggest stage for his country and he sure will continue to do it for Manchester United as well. We've got all that to look forward to over the next couple of weeks on the Game Podcast. But thank you, Gregor Robertson, Thomas Roddy and Jonathan Northcroft for being with me for the past hour or so. And to all of you for listening, remember, make sure you're subscribed to the game and the times right now go online the times.co.uk forward slash the game we'll react to england's matches and the other home nations in world cup qualifying the next time we see you that's on monday see you then Mother's Day is just around the corner, and it's time to pamper the special moms in your life. In what better way than with Osea's limited edition skincare sets, featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited edition sets, perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. Their Golden Glow Body Set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for silky, smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow and Go Facial Set has everything she needs to achieve spa-level results at home. They're so beautiful, you can skip the wrapping. For a limited time, you can save up to $48 on Osea's sets, plus get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. Pamper the moms in your life and get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code mom.